Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The main thing is this, they kept themselves pure. There was no deceit found within them. They were the absolute opposite of what the world was promoting. The world was promoting an antichrist who was full of deceit. The world was promoting a false prophet who was full of deceit. The world was worshiping or will be worshiping the dragon whose name is deceit. And here's 144,000 faithful witnesses just speaking the truth. A few decades ago, a new motto was introduced to society. Go with the flow. That was the motto of society. Just do it. Take the easy route. When we look around today, we can see that this mentality has taken root in our thinking. That's pretty much what we do today. Just go with the flow, whether it's good for us or not. Well, in today's message, Pastor James teaches you that in the end times, there's going to be this group of 144,000 Jewish males that take a stand against the evil flow of the world. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. All right, Revelation 14. We'll probably cover 14 and 15. Today. I'm like, what? 15. 15 is only like eight verses long. So it's cool. <laughs> Not that big. Um, so I'm going to read from New Living Translation. Chapter 13 of Revelation is a kind of a dark, heavy chapter. You have the Antichrist, you have the false prophet, you have the mark of the beast, and it's just, uh, it's just dark, dark, and dark. And people are taking the mark of the beast and all this stuff. Chapter 14, a transition starts to happen. Now, judgment is not done yet. Uh, There will be seven bowls of judgment that still will be poured out onto the earth. Um, But Revelation, it's some of these events, they're not all like chronological, okay, if you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes, we talked about this a little bit, sometimes there's a little pause. It's like, hey, here's a heads up. Here's what's happening in heaven. All this other stuff still is happening on the earth, but let's look at what's happening in heaven. Um, Chapter 14, this transition starts to happen to where it's like we are quickly approaching the end. I mean, we are in the latter half of the three and a half years. And man, those last three and a half years, uh, text wise and scripturally, just like go by in a blink of an eye. Okay, Revelation, the first part, we know the Revelation chapter one gives us the whole layout of the book and what John has seen and then the things which will happen, things are to come, all that good stuff, right? Deals with the churches. But man, it seems like that buildup for the first three and a half years is like a good portion of Revelation. But then you get into this latter part where it's just like things are going, things are just moving. And so 14 picks up right there. And so in case um, you're like, discouraged from chapter 13 you're feeling kind of bummed out with like you know all the stuff about an antichrist the antichrist who's going to rise up and then there's this false prophet and this whole one world religious system uh, this mark of identification which is again it's a fraud it's a fraud it's a counterfeit right because satan is always counterfeiting what god does 
God places his seal upon his own. We'll see that here in this chapter. Um, and then Satan's like, well, I can do that, and then I'll do one better. We can put it in their head or on their arm, right? It's like, just give it up, right? Like, come on, dude. Um, but it's always a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. And so you go through all that. Chapter 14 is to let us know that the end is near. The light is coming. The light is coming. Victory is at hand, okay? So let's look at uh, chapter 14. We're going to be reminded of some friends. Verse 1, I'm going to read from New Living Translation, it says this, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Take that, Mark of the Beast, right? Like, oh, you want to put a mark on people's heads? And that, listen, the people who take the Mark of the Beast, we'll see that in this chapter as well, willingly take that Mark of the Beast, understanding what it means. Okay, so nobody's going to trick you, all right? Please rest easy. Nobody is going to trick you with the mark of the beast. You're not going to show up to a doctor's appointment, and then you're going to walk out with like, oh, man, I got the mark of the beast. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't even want it. It's going to be okay. It'll be okay. There's a lot of clarity when it comes to this concerning the scripture. We may not know what it is. We don't have to know what it is. Because people, when it is revealed, will be given the choice. You can either take it, or you cannot take it and die. <laughs> and there are a lot of people on the earth will be like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that. But you know, and we'll see, what goes along with it really exposes their hearts. But here's 144,000. They are our friends from Revelation chapter 7. They are Jews, and they have their own mark. And it's the name of God written on their head, okay? The name of the son and his father's name. So you've got two names tattooed right on their foreheads. And they're standing. I love that. There's the lamb. That's Jesus standing on Mount Zion. Well, is it physical Mount Zion? Or is this like the heavenly Mount Zion, the spiritual Mount Zion? I would believe it's more of the heavenly Mount Zion. Um, I know other commentators would say that, no, this is uh, there in Jerusalem on the actual Mount Zion. Um, you know, you can pick. You can pick and choose. Um, it's not a deal breaker. It's an open-handed issue. You're probably like, I didn't even know that was an issue. It's not, okay? It's not really that big of a deal. It's not. Um, but if you ever do a revelation study, you might encounter that. Some people say, well, is it the physical? Is it in Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, or is it in heaven? I believe it's in heaven, and there's some evidence that shows that in a second. But there's Jesus, and there's 144,000. What does that tell us? They all made it. They all made it. What was told to us at the beginning in chapter 7 was they were going to make it. And guess what? The word of God is true. You can count on the word of God. Because at the very beginning, they were told, you're going to make it. And here in chapter 14, they're standing on Mount Zion with Jesus. They all made it. Not a single one of them died during this time period. And these 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel all, you call them whatever you want to call them, they're major evangelists for Jesus during the darkest days on this planet has ever experienced. Little Billy Grahams, actually big Billy Grahams, because they're going to do more stuff than he ever accomplished on this planet. Little Apostle Pauls, I've heard that before. No, it's like 144,000 Apostle Pauls on this planet. Amazing. And they go for it, and they finish their race. They finish. They didn't have to worry about anything, because the Lord told them, I'm going to set you guys loose on this planet. Don't even worry about it. Just go. Go for Jesus. Go for it. And they did. 
Verse 2, it says, I heard a sound from heaven. This is again, John, from heaven like a roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. We know what that's like. We just had a hurricane just pass right by us uh, not that many days ago. We know what it's like when that sea is just churning. You can hear it in its power. So this kind of indicates like not the calm lake, the peaceful lake. This is talking about Niagara Falls, just power, okay? So John hears this voice, the mighty rushing waters, the ocean waters, the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. This is, again, that heavenly scene. We're back there in that throne room. It says, no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So this is like a choir, 144,000 choir that gets to sing this one song. It's their song to God. It's their song to God. It's beautiful. It's cool. Well, what's the song? Well, you have to wait. You have to wait. Just wait. When you get to heaven, you're hanging out. Whenever all the stuff goes down and these 144,000 show up, you're like, oh, man, I read about this song. I read about this song. I'm sure it's going to be a beautiful song. It says they kept themselves pure as virgins. Uh, they followed the lamb wherever he went. So again, remember, these are Jews, and they are following Jesus. Incredible right? So they're following the Lord. They're keeping themselves pure here on this planet. Um, it goes on to say that they've been purchased from among the people of the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They told no lies. There was no deceit found within these guys, and they were without blame. So this is their testimony uh, concerning how they live their lives on this planet. So you had 144,000 of these guys they got saved, they're following Jesus, and they're just going crazy for Jesus on this planet, telling everybody about the Lord, sharing the gospel. And individuals are getting saved at this time period. They're going. They're just proclaiming the gospel. People are getting saved. It's incredible. And their testimony is they're just keeping themselves pure. I mean, they're staying focused on the Lord, and they're just going for it, just going for it, going for it. Does it mean that they weren't Married, because we'll see, I mean, that kind of comes up like, uh, were they not married? What's it really talking about there? Uh, there's a good chance that there are 144,000 of these guys that they're just single. And they kind of took the advice of the Apostle Paul, basically, when he was saying, look, then the times get going rough, kind of better to go at it all alone, right? <laughs> In one sense, like, um, you got to understand, too, if these guys were single, and you're walking around on this planet, at this point in time, we can understand this, and I'll communicate it in this way. Let's say you as a single individual get accosted or get taken by the governing rulers, and they say, listen, you either take this mark and you bow down to this image, or we're going to kill you. You as a single individual will be like, well, go for it. Go for it. That's an easy decision. That's fine. If it's me worshiping this thing or renouncing Jesus and you take my life, then take my life. Take my life. Go for it. Now, you look at it through a different lens. Let's assume that these guys are, have a spouse or they have kids. Now you paint that same scenario. Hey, you either renounce Jesus or we're going to kill your wife. You renounce Jesus or we're going to kill your kids. Well, that's, that's a hard decision. 
That's a hard decision. So that's why the thought here, and it says here that they kept themselves pure like virgins. Other translations said they were virgins. So there's some debate going back and forth of like, is it saying literally that they were? More than likely, it would make sense that they were just kept themselves. They were unmarried. And that makes perfect sense because you understand that the difficulty of, um, man, the last days you're serving the Lord and it's costing people their lives. So that's who these guys were. The main thing is this. They kept themselves pure. There was no deceit found within them. They were the absolute opposite of what the world was promoting. The world was promoting an antichrist who was full of deceit. The world was promoting a false prophet who was full of deceit. The world was worshiping or will be worshiping the dragon whose name is deceit. And here's 144,000 faithful witnesses just speaking the truth, speaking the truth. And they get to sing this song. We'll transition away from these guys now. They've had their scene in the end times. Like, they've had their scene, and they were on the planet. They faithfully did what they were called to do, and they did it well. They finished well. Good job, fellas. And then they all get to sing this beautiful song in heaven. We'll wait to hear that one day. Now we get to see some angels participating in the end times here. There's three specific angels that we're going to be talking about. It says, I saw another angel flying through the sky, through the air, through the heavens, carrying the eternal good news or the gospel to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, in the springs of water. This is this one angel is flying through the atmosphere, shouting this out all the time. There's a few different thoughts on this. Is it a real angel? Or is it radio waves? Because that's another thought, right? And so, or is it television broadcast? And that's why one Christian station is like Angel One or something like that, right? Because their thought is like, We'll keep radio waves going. We'll put all these sermons. And so what this will be is like sermons and the gospel being proclaimed all throughout the nation. I believe this is an angel preaching the gospel. That's what I believe. I think this is literally, there is an angel that will be flying through the skies, proclaiming to every single person on this planet, regardless of where they're at, there will be no language barrier. There will be no language barrier. What this angel proclaims will be heard by all and will be understood by all. It will not be received by all, but it will be understood by all. I think it's really going to be an angel. Lots of people have had different thoughts concerning this. Um, some people have thought, you know, like in the 17 or 1800s, some people thought this was like the uh, Bible translating kind of like, you know, society, because their goal was to translate the Bible into every tongue and every language. Um, well, we still haven't even reached that goal. We still haven't even hit that mark, right? We shared that statistic with, I um, can't remember who the group was, Wycliffe, I believe that, um, you know, their goal is by 2025 to have, you know, every language covered. And they're well on their way to hitting that goal. But um, this angel, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. This is the fantastic thing about this whole scenario is God could use angels anytime he wanted to. Number one, they would do a way better job than us, okay? A phenomenal job, I'm sure of it, okay? An angel shows up and says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I'm like, 
Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Because I don't, you're an angel. Um, of course. Uh, he's flying through the sky shouting out this message. That's going to get my attention too. I'm like, well, I grew up in church, but man, that's something I've never seen before. Um, what's that? And he's saying something I've, I've never really paid attention to before. Angels could do such a better job, yet it is so amazing that God has commissioned all of us to share the gospel. You're like, really, Lord? You want us? And the angels, maybe the angels are like, really? I don't know what they're thinking, but they're probably like, well, this is an interesting choice there. Um, In the end times, there will be this one who gets set loose, and he gets to proclaim the gospel, and people will respond. People will hear it. That's good news. That's such good news. We've gone through all this stuff, destruction and a third of this and a third of that and people and and all this and seeking death and not being able to find death and, and just craziness, craziness, craziness. But in the midst of all that, the gospel is being proclaimed and people are surrendering their lives to Jesus. Hold on to that good news. Because you may not be afraid of the tribulation. And if you're a believer, I don't believe you need to be afraid of the tribulation, even if there is no pre-trib rapture. You can go through the tribulation time period. You'll be fine. Well, what if I die? Hey, I mean, I'm not like, I don't want to be all dark or anything, but I would agree with the, the Apostle Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain, okay? Now, when it comes down to it, you might be singing a different song, right? And be like, oh, man, Lord, uh, this is hard to put in practice. But I pray that we would be as strong as all those martyrs who have gone before us. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a phenomenal book. Great book of individuals who went through some of this stuff in one sense. But this angel will be proclaiming the gospel, and people will respond to it. So maybe you have a loved one who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, Well, maybe their time to surrender to him, maybe at the darkest, darkest night, so to speak. I don't know. But I do know this. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. It doesn't matter how bleak it seems. It does not matter because as long as God is on the throne, then hope remains for everyone. Okay? For everybody. So he proclaims this message. He's calling on everybody to repent, to worship God. Don't worship this idol. Don't worship this false prophet. Don't worship the Antichrist. Don't worship these guys. Don't worship the dragon. Worship God. Then there's another angel, verse 8, followed him throughout the sky shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. So Babylon, this tremendous city, uh, goes all the way back to Genesis, a city that has always been kind of against God, right? You got the Tower of Babel. What was the goal there? The goal is to build this ziggurat, right? This little pyramid kind of spiral type thing up into the heavens. Why? Because we just got to prove to God that we're better than him, that we're better than him. And God's like, well, that's funny. Here, new languages, boom. And they're all like, we can't talk to each other. And so they all spread out because um, they were all accumulating together. And God's like, nah, go be fruitful, multiply, spread out all over the earth. No, God, we're better than you. We're smarter than you. Um, it it kind of started there. And it kind of started with Nimrod. Nimrod was a hunter of men. Uh, and, you know, despite his namesake, you know, Nimrod, just, it's not a compliment. You don't call somebody a Nimrod complimenting them, okay? Maybe 
seems like a dated term now, but um, he was a hunter of men. He uh, took individuals captive, slaves, bad dude, really bad dude. So Babylon, and he seemed to be like the, you know, he started Babylon in one sense, right? So he's always connected to there. But all throughout history, Babylon has just been this thing that's been coming against Israel, coming against God's people, and you have this uh, setup, this spiritual kind of aspect to Babylon as well. But this angel is proclaiming to everybody in the world, like, look, the great city of Babylon has fallen. We'll get into that later on in a few chapters down the road. So we're not going to press into that too much further. But Babylon is fallen. So that follows up right behind the gospel. Worship God. But what about this whole infrastructure and one world this and one world that and all? No, no, it's done. It's fallen. It's fallen. What about that Antichrist? He's the political leader. No, no, no. He's done. Done. Follow God. You're giving him a heads up. There's a third angel. Third angel followed them. So you have one, two, three angels flying throughout the sky, okay? In case one wasn't enough, you got three. Anyone who worships the beast in his statue or accepts his mark on the forehead or the hand must drink the wine of God's anger or of God's wrath. So there's a little indication there. Anybody who worships the beast, this is in connection to receiving the mark. So what you need to understand there is it's saying this. By receiving the mark of the beast, whether you get that thing on your hand or you get it on your head, you are willfully acknowledging that, yes, worship is a part of this. And worshiping the Antichrist and the dragon, who is Satan, throw the false prophet in there as well. You, by taking it, you are fully acknowledging and agreeing with worshiping those guys. That's why nobody's going to get tricked into this, okay? So it gets thrown out there of like, hey, here's this mark. You have to have it. You have to worship him. You have to identify this guy. Caesar is Lord, okay? Except it'll be in modern terms where it's like the Antichrist and this image that we built up and set up and the desecration of the temple, you know, all that stuff. You have to worship this guy. And you will show your allegiance. You will pledge your allegiance to this Antichrist. And by doing so, you are taking his seal upon you. It's this counterfeit to Christianity is what it is. Because when Jesus shows up in your life, he says, hey, listen, surrender to me. Follow me. Pledge your allegiance to me. Worship me. And I'm going to put my seal on you. We know that from Ephesians chapter 1. That's what he does. It's the same setup with this unholy trinity, with this wicked trinity. Hey, you must worship us, and we will know that you worship us by accepting and receiving the seal upon either your forehead or your right hand. So this angel, this third angel, is letting everybody know who willfully bow down to these false deities, more specifically the Antichrist. Here's what he's saying. Because you didn't want Jesus to drink from the cup for you, now you get to drink the cup yourself. That's how you need to see this. So when you see this, it's like the third angel is saying, hey, anybody who worships the beast in his statue or accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger or of God's wrath, 
What that is saying is this, because you refuse to have Jesus drink of that cup for you, now you get to drink it. What we learn from Revelation and many other books of the Bible is a continuous journey. We appreciate our time with you here today on Bread for the Broken. Our host is Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas with Pastor James Grizzle. This ministry is dedicated to spreading the truth of the gospel through the study and reading of God's Word so that everyone can find hope and new life in Jesus Christ. If this has resonated with your soul, we'd encourage you not to ignore that. Would you reach out to us by visiting our webpage, breadforthebroken.com? We'd love to talk with you. You can get started by locating the contact tab at the top of the page and submitting an email that will be securely sent to us. Better yet, why not come and join us as we worship Jesus together? We're a laid-back, uncomplicated group of people, simply seeking to love like Jesus better than we have before. We'd be overjoyed to have you come. Just mark it on your calendar Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or Thursdays at 7 p.m. Take your pick or come to both. Understandably, not all of our listening audience is near Galveston, Texas, but we hope that you'll join us on our live stream so you don't miss out on any inspiring and challenging messages from Pastor James Grizzle. Make sure to visit breadforthebroken.com to learn more. Did the words you heard today make an impact on your day? Would you consider donating to this ministry? We're so thankful for your financial support. To get more information, go to breadforthebroken.com. That's all we have for today, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.